We're in 1 Timothy chapter 2. First Timothy chapter two. First word in chapter two is therefore. So again, we always back up and see what what he's been talking about. Uh, we ended last week uh, with the charge that Paul reiterated to Timothy that his job was to correct error to make sure people were were staying in the doctrine that they needed to. And he said some people have not done that. Some people have rejected that and they've turned away from it and he mentions uh, Hymenaeus and Alexander. He said he delivered them unto Satan. We talked about that last week. Uh, church discipline. And he did it for their benefit in order to help them to come back to God and, and hopefully to repent and to go to heaven. So therefore, for that reason, people are, are straying from the faith. For what he's about to tell us, it's important. He says, therefore, I exhort first of all that supplications, prayers, intercessions, giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. He says, for that is good, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Therefore, people are straying. He says, I'm going to exhort you to do this. People need to be prayed for. He says this is of utmost importance. If I ask you today, can you ever pray for enough people? Can you ever pray for enough things? You ever consider that in your life? You ever just sometimes sit down and you think about it, and you think about all the things you need to pray for, and it's almost like it's a never-ending list? Sometimes we don't, I'll speak for me. Sometimes I don't think that way, and it's you know, somewhat like my prayers are just the same old things, you know, maybe those basic things that I think about every day, but then every now and then I really sit and think about it, and it's like, you know, you could just pray for hours and hours because there's just so many things that are needed. So many people need our help. Within this congregation, how many people do we have that are sick or dealing with with family members that are sick or, or whatever it may be. There's tons of different people. And he says, listen, he says, I, I'm exhorting you to do this. I want you to see the importance of prayer. He's going to use four different words here, but they're all just talking about prayer. He says, first, I, I want you to make supplications. The word supplication carries with it the idea of a special request. You ever have a special request of God? Every now and then we'll have a special prayer, right? Maybe somebody calls in and they say, hey, would you have the church to pray for me? Maybe an elder will go up and they will pray for that person. That will be described as a supplication. Maybe in your life uh, there are certain things that, that you, you just have a special request and you really want to talk to God about it. He says you need to make that happen. You need to always do that. He says prayers. Prayers is just in the general sense. No special significance to the word. He says you just need to pray. Paul told the people at Thessalonica, he said you need to pray without ceasing. He says it's something that you can do at any time of the day. And sometimes I think that maybe we don't, sometimes I'm afraid we don't realize that. Do I have to be in a bowed head, eyes closed position in order to pray? I think some people believe that. Let me ask you, could you pray while you're driving down the road? 
I hope so, because I do that all the time. You know, that, to me, that's, that's a long time, and it's, you know, I don't listen to the radio, and I just, I, I've got time there. Don't, don't bow your head and close your eyes if you're driving. You're in big trouble if you do that. What about if you're at work and you are actually actively working? Can you just pray while that's going on? Yeah. And, and you see, sometimes I'm afraid that we don't take advantage of all those things. At any point in your day or night, if you feel like you need to pray, Paul said, do it. I mean, that's what it's about. God is there. He doesn't close. He doesn't go to sleep. You know, he's always there. He says, realize that and understand the importance. He says, intercessions. Intercessions is an intimate conversation. It's a word that means pleading on behalf of others. You ever ever plead with God? Probably have. If you've not, you will, I promise. You'll go through times in your life that you'll plead with God. And you'll beg Him, you'll bargain with Him, you'll do all of these things to try to get God to help you in whatever it is that you're facing. It's somewhat similar to supplication. It's a special request, but this is a more intimate thing. You ever prayed, I mean, just very, very fervently? Again, if you've been through difficult, hard times, you've been there, haven't you? You've prayed very, very fervently for something. And that's what Paul's talking about, intercessions. And then he goes on to say giving of thanks. You realize sometimes we focus on those first three, don't we? And I've said this many times here, but we'll beg and we'll plead and we'll make requests for all of these things that we need, all these problems going on in our life, and then God will answer. And then sometimes that's pretty much the end of it, isn't it? What if we thank God as much as we beg God? You ever considered that? Maybe should we? Probably we should, shouldn't we? You see, if God comes through, and even if he doesn't come through, God's still good, right? God's still good, and he's still in charge. And even as as I've gotten a little older, and I understand a little bit more, I guess, about the Bible and life and all those things, my prayer life has even changed. I don't always pray for what I want anymore. I really mean that. I don't. I pray that I trust God. He knows what's best. I don't know what's best. You ever prayed for something, and if what you had prayed for had happened, it would have been a mess? Yeah. And you see, sometimes maybe we just need to trust God and allow Him to work in our lives and then always be thankful for all of those things that He does. And, and, and don't ever forget to be thankful for all those things that He, that he does in our lives. Don't ever uh, lose sight of that. He says, he says, I want you to do this for all men. It's easy to pray for yourself, isn't it? It's easy to pray for your family. You know, it's easy to pray for, for maybe uh, the church here and people you like, but he says, I want you to pray for everybody. How many of us do that? That's a hard one, isn't it? I hope you do, but it's hard. It's hard to remember to pray for everybody. And, you know, maybe in our prayer life, we need to learn to be a little bit more specific. Sometimes what we do is God just, you just kind of throw it all in one lump, don't we? And we don't personalize it very much. But I think what the Paul's trying to get us to, to see is we need to personalize this thing. He says, verse 2, he says, I want you to pray for kings and those in authority. Does our president need prayers? I don't want to make this political, but does he need prayers? Regardless of who he is, yeah. I mean, listen, does our life 
change based upon what the president decides a lot of time and Congress and all those. It dictates a large part of our life, don't it? It dictates how much money you've got in the bank. It dictates what laws are this or that. or It just dictates a large part of our life. So they need an abundance of prayers. They need God's guidance. And Paul says, listen, you need to do this. You need to pray uh, for all of these things. Let me ask you something. I had a man ask me one time. He says, if God knows everything, and he says, and I know he does, why do I need to be specific about all these things? Is that a good question? If God knows what I need, why do I need to bow my head and get specific about each one of those things I want him to help me with or whatever? What do you tell somebody like that? Why did Hezekiah get 15 more years of life? He asked for it, didn't he? Specifically. All of these prayers that we read about in the Bible and they're answered, why were they answered that way? Because they were asked for specifically. The eyes of the Lord are over the righteous and His ears are open unto their prayers. He's watching us. He's listening unto us. And He will answer us. The Bible says in James chapter 5, Elijah was a man subject to like passions like we are. So in other words, Elijah was just like you and I. We, we deem him to be better than us, but the Bible says he's just like us. He struggled with the temptation. He struggled with all kind of different things. But the Bible says he prayed fervently that he wouldn't rain, and what happened? It didn't rain. He asked for something very specific. Did God already know that? Did God already know, you know, all of these things? What you're going to pray for tonight, if you're alive and I'm alive, what we're going to pray for tonight, does God already know that? Does he still want us to ask anyways? Yeah. In order for a relationship to be good, it requires communication, right? If you never talk to your spouse, how good's your relationship? Not very good, right? Not very good. Same with God, right? As a Christian, are we not a spouse to Christ? Uh, are we not the, the bride and he's the groom? And in order for that relationship to be good, there's got to be communication both ways. He's communicated everything that we need. Second Peter 1.3, we've got to communicate back to him. And Paul is trying to stress the importance of that. Don't ever lose sight of the importance of that. Pray for those that are in authority. Why? Because you can live a quiet and peaceable life. The word quiet would carry the idea of, of free from outward disturbances. Don't we want to live a quiet life? I mean, don't we want to not be disturbed by those around us and, and all the chaos going on? We want all that to, to cease and we pray for peace, right? Uh, that's what we do. And the word peaceable comes from an idea of free from inward disturbances. And we talked about this a couple weeks ago. As a Christian, we gotta, we're in a war, right? And that war is both external and internal. Every person in here, you've got an internal war and, and you want peace within yourself. And Jesus offers a peace, according to Philippians 4 verse 7, that surpasses all understanding. And that can only be obtained uh, through Him giving it to you. Wisdom can be obtained. I understand through life's experiences, but what does James say about wisdom? If any of you lacks wisdom, what do you do? You pray about it. You pray for wisdom on a regular basis? Well, I hope so, because man, do we ever need it? All of us, we need it. I pray for wisdom all the time because I feel like I desperately, I desperately need it. He says you can live a, 
a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. Godliness and reverence simply means giving God His due. Giving God what He deserves. God deserves everything. God deserves our allegiance. God deserves our respect. And God deserves, again, for us to be thankful unto Him. He says, this is good and acceptable uh, in the sight of God, our Savior. That's what God wants us to do. That's what He desires in this life. Back to that question, does God want us to ask even though He knows anyways? Yeah. He says, pray, because that's what's good and acceptable. That's what He expects you to do as a child of His. He says, He desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. We understand that. That's the basic of biblical doctrine. Jesus Christ came to save sinners. That was His goal. He wants everybody to be saved. The Lord's not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but He's long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance, 2 Peter 3.9. He wants everybody to go to heaven. And you and I should want everybody to go to heaven. Verse 5, we're going to spend a little bit of time on. Verse 5, the Bible says there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Jesus Christ. The one God thing, that's, that's pretty simple, right? He says if you're going to pray, remember the context here is talking about prayer. He says if you're going to pray, you've got to understand there's only one God. You know, a lot of people in this world, they believe in a multiplicity of gods and they pray to all these different things and different religions. They pray to saints or whatever it may be. But ultimately, Paul says there's one God. Anything that you direct in this life is directed to Him. There's only one. But here's what I want to focus on. I want to focus on that word mediator. There's one God and there's one mediator between God and man. I want to read you what the definition of mediator is. According to the dictionary, it says a mediator is a person who mediates. You say, well, that's obvious. But it goes into a little bit better description. It's a person who mediates, someone who helps to settle a dispute or create agreement when there is conflict between two or more people or groups by acting as an intermediary or a go-between for these parties. Now you say, most of you say, I know that. But I want us to really grasp what it is that Jesus does. He is a person that goes between. A, a mediator is someone there has to be a conflict first. There's some kind of big disagreement and this thing needs to be settled, so you need somebody to go between. Sometimes, uh, that's why we hire a lawyer, right? There is a disagreement between two parties, and you need someone uh, to go between those two parties and to settle this disagreement. Well, the Bible says in 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, My little children, these things I write unto you that you sin not, but if any man sins, we have an advocate. We have an advocate with the Father. And it's Jesus Christ the righteous. He's the propitiation for our sins. We've got an advocate. What's an advocate? It's a lawyer, isn't it? That's all it is. It's a mediator. It's a go-between, someone that's going to settle the dispute. So, so we've got an advocate, uh, and it's Jesus. What's the conflict? Well, we know what the conflict is. Go all the way back to the garden. Genesis chapter 3, God made a rule. A rule. And he says, don't break this rule. Things will be smooth sailing, you know, and you'll live forever. Well, they broke the rule. You see, 1 John 3, verse 4, sin is a transgression of the law. God set forth the law. Mankind sinned. According to Isaiah 59, the Lord's hand is not shortened and it cannot save. 
Neither is his ear heavy that he cannot hear. But listen to what he says, verse 2. But your sins have separated you from your God. Your sins. My sins have caused that separation. And he says, your iniquities has caused where he will not hear. No longer will he hear people. He turns his face away from sin. He wants no part of it. So there is a conflict that has happened and, and we understand that on this side, God is 100% innocent and mankind is what? 100% guilty. But man, this thing's got to be settled. How are we going to go to heaven when there's a God that is 100% innocent and we're 100% guilty? Somebody's got to mediate. And I know maybe you say this is basic biblical things, but man, I want us to understand this. Somebody's got to mediate. I'll pick on old Ron back here. Let's say me and Ron get in a big disagreement, a big argument, and it's just a blow up, and we just can't settle it, so we've got to bring somebody in. What kind of person do we want to bring in? Well, I wrote down some things. We both want to bring in somebody we respect, right? We're going to settle this thing. If I bring in somebody that Ron can't stand, well, how's that going to work? Well, that's not going to work, is it? It's got to be somebody that we both respect, that we will both accept as taking that role of a mediator. It's got to be somebody that is unbiased. What if me and Ron's in this disagreement and we just can't agree, and, and he says, well, I want to bring in J.R. Lewis here. That wouldn't be fair, would it? I don't know. He'd probably take my side. He'd be in trouble. But I'm being, being serious. What if we bring in somebody that, that, that's known this one party forever, and they're always going to lean in that direction. Would that be fair to the other party? Well, of course it wouldn't. We, wouldn't. we wouldn't want to do that. Would we go hire a lawyer to settle something for us that liked the other person far better than us? No, I mean, that's common sense things. Wouldn't we need somebody that would be able to sympathize with both sides? Wouldn't we need somebody that maybe had an understanding of, of this party's complaint and also this party's complaint? Because you're going to be able to settle the thing better if you've got a, a deep understanding of both sides. And you know what's going on. And finally, it had to be somebody that both sides would just have to agree to whatever they decided. Whatever verdict they made, it would have to be that person that we would decide, okay, that's it. Whatever they say, that's what I'll do. Well, we've got a problem with God. We've got a problem with God that we can't fix. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. When you sin, it separates you from God. And, and the wages of that, what we earn, that's death. We've got to settle this dispute. Is there a man? And again, you know the answer to all this. But is there a man that's good enough to do this? Is there a man that both sides would respect? A human man, not a human man now living, is that wouldn't a man be somewhat biased? Wouldn't a man be for, hey, I, you know, I'm going to take their side over here. These humans, you know, I'm going to take their side. You know, they've always done this. Could a man sympathize with God? Does a man know how God feels? Not just any ordinary man. No. What about an angel? Could an angel do this? Could an, would an angel be respected maybe by both sides? Somewhat respected by both sides, right? But could an angel sympathize with both sides? Angel might even be biased, right? 
God created those angels to serve His purpose, wouldn't they be biased? You created me to serve your purpose, and I did everything you wanted me to do, I'd be probably biased. Angel can't do that. Well, we've got mankind, we've got angels. Only other being, we could, Satan, could Satan be the mediator? Oh, of course not. Satan wants both of us to be doomed, right? God and man. Well, there's only one then. There's only one person that fits all of this criteria. What about Jesus? Does he know the problem? Both sides of the problem. Does he know it? Yeah. Was he there in Genesis chapter 3? He was there. He was there. He knew the problem. He knew the rules. He knew when the rules were broken. He knew the consequences of breaking those rules. He was the one that set forth all of that. He was in the beginning. He was there through all of it. He was a part of the, uh, of the punishment or the prophecy, if you will, given in Genesis 3.15, Jesus was. He knows the problem. Well, does he know man's side of the problem? Yeah. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, we do not have a high priest that cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like we are, yet without sin. Jesus know how you feel? I plan on the young people being in here. Jesus know what it's like to be a teenager? He endured the same things. Don't you think Jesus was peer pressured? Yeah, Jesus knew all of that. Jesus knows what it's like to grow up into adulthood. He knows what it's like to hold a job. He knows what it's like to, to be around sinful people. He knows how hard it is to do what's right. He knows how hard it is. So can he therefore uh, sympathize with both sides? He knows what it's like to be God because he has never ceased to be God. He's always been God. But he knows what it's like to be a man. Jesus Christ was just as much of a human as his mother Mary and his father Joseph. I know we can't understand that. That's beyond our comprehension. That you can be 100% God and 100% man, that's beyond us. But Jesus was. Is Jesus unbiased? We said we want somebody that's unbiased. Is he unbiased? Jesus, in this corner, he 100% wants to do God's will. And he's on God's side. But over here in this corner, doesn't he love us so much that he's just he's going to be willing to do whatever it takes to, to get us to heaven? Yeah. He sees he's unbiased. He, he's always going to be unbiased. Jesus gave up all of those attributes that made him God. When he came to earth, to earth. Philippians chapter 2, verse 6, uh, he gave up those things. Verse 6 says he, or verse 7 says he emptied himself of those things, of his omniscience and his omnipotence and all of those things. He couldn't be everywhere at one time again. He didn't have the power or the ability to do all of these miraculous things until. The Holy Spirit fell upon him at his baptism without measure, Matthew chapter 3. He gave up all of those things to, so he could 100% know what it was like to be us. You see, if Jesus had kept all of those things at his disposal, would he have really known what it was like to be a man? Honestly. I mean, if you had all knowledge and you knew what was going to happen before it ever happened, 
Would you really know what it was like to be tempted like we are? No. Because you see, I don't know what's going to happen in the next five minutes. So I have to face that as I go. Jesus had to live like that. The Bible says, Luke 2 verse 52, He grew in wisdom and stature. You can't grow in wisdom if you retained those things, can you? No, He grew in wisdom because He had to learn just like we did. He lived a life just like us. So you see, He is a person that is respected by both sides. He's respected by God because He is from God and He is God. He's respected by man because He came and gave Himself. Everything He did was for us. He's respected by us. He's unbiased because He loves both sides with every fiber of His being and He wants to do the will and and help both sides. He can sympathize because on one hand He is God and He knows what it's like to be rejected and all of those things, but on the other hand He knows what it's like uh, to be a man and to endure all of that. And finally, the last one we said was it's got to be someone that both sides would accept his verdict. Is God going to accept his verdict? You and I don't have a choice, do we? We don't. But God's going to accept it. You realize God sees us as we are in him? If God sees us as we are without him, well, he's not going to like what he sees, right? But if God sees us as we are in him, that's the only way we've got a chance. You see, he is our mediator. He is our go-between. You realize we were just talking about prayer, and all of this is in the context of prayer. In the Old Testament, uh, they didn't have Jesus as a mediator, did they? They did a lot of other things to try to appease God. And one of those was burning of incense. And the book of Revelation says that burning of incense, that's the prayer of the saints, right? So in essence, it was they were sending things up to God and they were trying to appease God for a period of time. But here we are in the New Testament and according to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, since we've got that high priest that can be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, verse 16 says we can boldly come before the throne of grace. We can boldly do that. Without that mediator, we can't come before the throne of grace. What can you and I ask of God without Jesus? You can't even talk to God without Jesus. Because again, our sins made that separation. And it turned his face from us so that he will not hear us. So the only way you and I can pray is because Jesus gave his life a ransom. That's what the next verse is talking about. That's the only reason you and I can bow our heads at night and pray. Let's go over just real quickly to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and we want to see what Paul, again, said about all of this. 2 Corinthians 5, starting in verse 18. Let's start at verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... He is a new creature. Remember, God sees us as we are in Him. If we're in Christ, we're a new creature. He says, old things have passed away, all things have become new. Again, Old Testament people didn't have that. We have that today. We can become a a new being in Him as our mediator. Now, all things are of God, who has reconciled us to Himself through Jesus Christ. 
God sent Jesus Christ because he wanted to, to reconcile us back, to get us back to him. In order to reconcile, there has to be a conflict, and the conflict has to be settled to reconcile. So again, it's talking about a mediator. And has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is that God was in Christ, God is using Christ, to reconcile the world to himself. Not imputing their trespasses to them. I want you to notice that. Not imputing their trespasses. Is everybody in here sin? Even as a Christian, do you sin? When you are in Christ, your sins are not imputed to you. That means they're not, you know, credited to your account, if you will. They're not credited to your account. And when you're walking in the light as He is in the light, 1 John 1, 7, then He's just continuously, like He's got a, a rag, you know, and you're wiping down whatever's dirty. He's continually wiping it off and off and off. And your trespasses, your sins are not imputed unto you. Uh, because of what Christ does for us. Because He is our mediator on a 24-hour day, seven-day-a-week basis. He's doing this very thing. He's not imputing their trespasses, and He has committed us to the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. Representatives is what ambassadors means. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled unto God. He says, realize all the benefits that come with Jesus Christ being our mediator. Understand that and, and desire to be a part of that. Desire to be reconciled unto Him. Listen to this last verse. For He, that's God, the Father, made Him, Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. We understand that, right? God made Jesus who knew no sin. 1 Peter 2, verse 22 says, He did no sin, neither was guile found in His mouth. He never did anything wrong. He never said anything wrong. God made Him, the perfect Lamb, to be the sin sacrifice for us. He never became a sinful human being, but He took upon His shoulders the punishment for the sin. Why do you think He cried out on the cross and, and asked God why He'd forsaken Him? Why do you think He did that? Can God look at sin? At that point in time, Jesus took the punishment of sin upon His shoulders. He was dying for the sins of the world. God had to turn His face away from Him. Remember Isaiah 59 verse 2, God doesn't look upon sin. God doesn't hear sin. God turns His face from all of those things. And Jesus was willing to bear the brunt of that so you and I could be reconciled. So you and I could get back in the relationship uh, that mankind had before the fall. And I, again, I don't think we completely understand that. Go back to 1 Timothy chapter 2. I want us to see something else. There's one God. There's one mediator between God and man. Then notice what it says. The man, Jesus Christ. That's present tense, isn't it? He doesn't say, you know, the, the man that lived way back then. He says there's a mediator that is mediating right now. And that mediator is the man, Jesus Christ. We've talked about this here. But do you realize the sacrifice that Jesus made carries on into eternity? I hope we pass that. Because you see, that, that makes it bigger to me. You know, if, if I made a sacrifice and I made it for 33 years and then it was over and everything went right back to the way it was, you know, that was tough for a while. But what if I made a sacrifice that 
was never going to end. Jesus is at the right hand of God right now, but Jesus is in a resurrected body. In a resurrected body. It's a body that, according to the Bible in 1 John, says, verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 1 and 2, we're going to look like Him. We don't know what He looks like right now, but when we get there, we're going to be like He is in a resurrected body. There, a spiritual body. The man, Jesus Christ. Jesus is going to dwell with us in eternity. Hebrews chapter 2 says He's going to be dwell with His brethren. He's going to praise God with His brethren in heaven in eternity. His sacrifice is much deeper than sometimes what we think. And maybe we'll talk a little bit more about that in a moment. I want to get to the next couple of verses before our time is up. Because verse 8 changes gears. Alright. He says, Jesus is one who gave Himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Jesus gave Himself a ransom. A ransom is a price paid for the redemption of a captive. We've all watched the movies and, and they kidnap somebody and then they make the call, right? Police is always there and they got the phone line tapped. They're waiting for the call and it's a ransom call. And they say, I'll give them back to you for $5 million. And you know how the story goes. Well, it's the same here. It's the same here. We are captives. Romans chapter 6, verse 16, the Bible tells us we're one of two things. We're a servant of sin unto death, or we're a servant of obedience unto righteousness. You can't be anything else. You're one of those two things. Either way, you're a servant. But in one of those senses, you're a servant, a captive unto Satan. And as long as you're captive unto Satan, you don't have any hope. So we've got to be bought back. We've got to have somebody to pay the ransom. And Timothy, again, you know these things, but it's good to be reminded. Timothy said, or Paul tells Timothy, Jesus Christ, he paid the ransom. He's the only one that could pay the ransom. The price was too high for all of us. We can't do it. Well, what's that song we sing? Uh, we owed a debt we could not pay. He paid a debt, you know, that, that we couldn't pay. He did all of that. He's the only one that could do that. He gave his life a ransom uh, for all to be testified in due time. That testified in due time, talks about the perfect timing. Jesus gave his life, came to earth, gave his life, and died at the absolute perfect time. Romans chapter 5, verse 6, the Bible tells us in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. At the perfect time that mankind needed it. You realize that the Old Testament's going through and it's just continual cycle of, of sin and repentance and God chastising punishment discipline, all those things, and the people just continually go back to it, and finally God says, that's enough for 400 years, he doesn't even speak to mankind. And in Jesus, at the perfect time, when man absolutely needed him most, he comes and gives himself. And Paul wants to remind us that. God has always got this thing handled. Last verse, and, and we'll be dismissed. Paul says, for which... For which, for the perfect time that God came, for the perfect plan that He had, for that very reason, He says, I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. The word preacher is not used very many times in the New Testament. It's simply a herald. A herald is someone that uh, would maybe at that time go through a village and they would announce certain things. It was a person that was, their job was to give information to other people. Paul says, that's what I am. 
My job is simply to pass information along to you. He said, I'm also an apostle. And we've talked about that numerous times. He's an apostle because he's seen Jesus. Uh, God intended for him to be one. That was his purpose. He said, I am speaking the truth in Christ and not lying. Why would somebody say that? You think he'd been accused of lying, probably? Yeah. Sometimes we are uh, accused of making things up. But Paul wanted us to understand. He wanted Timothy to understand all these things are directly from God, given by inspiration. He's going to say that later on in his writing to Timothy. He says, I'm a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles. His job was to go about and establish congregations in all these places. And everywhere he went, he taught the same thing that we talked about today. There's one God, one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ, and he gave his life a ransom for you. What are you going to do with it? Go back to 2 Corinthians 5. He says, be reconciled unto God. That's what it's all about. I appreciate your attention.